Thank you for standing while we read God's word from Philippians 4, 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Paula. Well, good morning again, everybody. My name is Sean. If, uh, if I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, something you hear every week, and if you've been coming long enough, you know what I'm going to say. Redemption Church is one church, nine different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Each one of those congregations is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So there's five elders here at Redemption Peoria. I'm the lead pastor here also as, as a, uh, an elder. You might have questions about that, how that looks, all that. Uh, there's a connect us as you go out to your right. Um, feel free to, to grab a card. If you want to get connected uh, to start here, there's start here class that we do. Or maybe you have questions myself and some of the other leaders will be over there and you can ask ask away with any of those things. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, you know, if you are honestly new, you're coming at the end of the movie. So we're, we're finishing the book of Philippians this morning. And just so everyone is aware, we're going to go from Philippians and then we're going to do the book of Exodus. And, uh, and, and there's going to be just, just so everyone doesn't come next week, expect we're jumping in Exodus. There's actually, as a lead team, we decided there'd be good to have two weeks between Philippians and Exodus for each congregation to kind of talk about what each congregation would, would want to talk about. And so that's what we're going to do next, next week and the following week before we jump into Exodus. We're going to actually talk about, you know, as we talked as elders, something that we feel like is really important, um, not just going into the fall, but just the stage of our church. And the first week we're going to talk about what does it mean to belong to a church or be committed to a church? And then from there, something that, and I'll explain this more when, when I talk about it, um, we're going to talk about giving. And what that means. We've never actually devoted a Sunday to that. Some of that's because my own banded uh, uh, baggage in regards to 
I think how the culture and myself has even viewed the church and money and all that, and I just have always wanted to avoid it. But in the same way, it's a discipleship issue. We've talked about prayer and all that. We're going to dive into that as well. So what does it mean to be connected and committed and belong to a church and then giving in regards to the church as well? So we'll talk through all that. We're going to have a Jabez chest up here to give. It's going to be amazing. Um, just you guys wait. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Um, so I want to, uh, I want to pray and I'm going to pray for our time together, but I also want to pray. I felt this week and I reached out to uh, Christy Wells. If you guys don't know who Nathan Wells is, Christy and Nathan Wells, they, uh, go here and, uh, Nathan, just a long story. We don't have to get into it. Found out he had cancer, um, a, a little while back and now just got a clean report. Everything's great and it's awesome. But I, as I was uh, preparing, okay, yeah, we'll take that. I'm sure Nathan will take that. Um, so it's really awesome the, the, the place that they're in now, but I just said, Hey, I really feel led to just pray for you and Nathan specifically. And so I asked Chrissy just, Hey, what are some things? And so I want to pray as I pray for our time together. I also want to pray just that that would stay that way, that, uh, cancer would, would continue to, um, not be in Nathan's body. And then at the same time, uh, that their family, uh, them and the kids would have rest. It's been a, a tough couple months for them. So I'm going to pray for them, pray for our time together, and then we'll jump into Philippians. So let's pray. Father. We're grateful for your word. Uh, Even as Paula read it, just hearing it is good for our soul. Uh, There's so many words that we read and so many words that we hear that seem to be counter to what you want to tell us. And so it's easy for us to get caught up and be tossed to and fro. So I pray that we would be um, kind of brought down, our feet set on solid ground uh, to hear Philippians chapter 4, that we would know it well. Um, and that uh, even in my responsibility in this moment, be faithful to what you want us to hear. Uh, I also pray for Nathan. I pray that um, first and foremost, his heart and his mind would be at peace, that um, you are in control, and that uh, the, the gratitude he has, I'm sure, in his heart is something a lot of us couldn't even relate to, that, that um, he's through that season, that cancer is no longer there, um, but we also would continue to pray that that would stay that way, that cancer would not return, and that his body would rest, and he would, um, he would heal well. I pray for emotional healing as well. Um, I'm sure just the family is just brutally drained uh, because of all this. The ups and downs that have probably gone on um, are really hard to fathom. So I pray for just the Wells family. I pray that you'd be with them. Uh, thank you for them and, and uh, the gift that they are. It's Redemption Peoria. Um, yeah, be with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's where I'm going to start. Uh, There's a a verse, as we said when we started Philippians, in every single one of the sermons that we talked about that is really well known. And this verse is probably the most well known for all the wrong reasons. So let me tell you a story. Luke Simmons tells a story about how when he was in high school, he's a pastor at Redemption Gateway, uh, he was in high school, uh, his coach came up to him one day and he said, hey, I got to ask. So Luke at this time had just become a believer. Most of his team had just become a believer. said, hey, I got to ask, what's happening in Philadelphia on April 13th? What's happening? I, I don't, like you guys have it written on your hats. It's written under your eyes. What, like on your cleats, what's happening, right? And that's because the team um, had Phil, right, for 13, uh, written on their eyes, right, and, and, and uh, right under here, right, and they, their, their caps and on their shoes. And so Luke begins to explain this Bible verse to him that the, the coach didn't know at all. And, and the irony of the story itself is um, as much as the coach was confused about the verse even existing, Luke and his team were even further confused, not just about the verse existing, but actually what it meant, 
Okay, And we find this verse in all kinds of ways with Tim Tebow and Steph Curry and Ray Lewis. I've seen it on uh, rock climbing gear. It's kind of across the board. This verse is used all over in a lot of the wrong ways. Um, There's a guy named Boone who wrote um, a book called I Don't Think It Means What You Think It Means. And in this book, he breaks down eight verses in the Bible that don't mean what people use them as to mean. And at the top of this list, you'll never guess what's there, Philippians 4.13. By far, in my opinion, and if you've been um, studious and, and trying to understand this verse at all, you will see how rampantly this verse is misused. I saw a ton in the prosperity gospel movement, which I was a part of years ago. Uh, and, and it's this verse, so... So you could probably quote it. it. might be different variations of how you quote it. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of you might say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, whatever it is. The idea is that if you want to fly, you can do it, okay? If you want to jack a 500-yard homer, if you want to dunk from the free throw line, if you want to shoot from 50 feet out, you can do it right? And so this verse is used in this way that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's what I want to do. Because this verse is so misused and because it's so um, important to the the text around it, I want to start like a camera zooming in on this text and slowly zoom out to see what's what's around it. Because I think there's three waves that we need to see Philippians 4.13. Number one, what it is not. Number two, what it is, which I think some of you might know what it is, but there's a third thing in the context of this chapter at large that's even kind of bigger that I want to get to as well in tying in ultimately how we get there into what it is. So let's just go through those kind of waves. I'm going to kind of go, it's, we're going to go through verse by verse, but it's going to be a little bit different because we're going to start with Philippians 4.13, okay? So here's where we are, Philippians 4.13. I'll read from verses 10 to 13, just so we're in that uh, immediate context, and then we'll read the other parts of the verse as we go on. It said this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, this is Paul speaking, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this is the first wave is very easy. What it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you can fly if you want to. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that if in some crazy circumstance, God wants you to fly or walk on water or raise from the dead, that's absolutely possible. There's nothing outside of the confines of God's power. I'm just saying that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not putting in front of us you going, no, oh, like I, one of the videos I watched, it was the, uh, the guy who eats all the hot dogs, the world record eat dogs, and he's like getting all jacked up. No, I could do it. It's him who strengthens me. It's like, no, like you just know how to eat a lot of hot dogs, okay? And so, so what it doesn't mean in this moment is you can do whatever you want. Or, I'm not saying that's off the table. I'm just saying that's not what this, this context would show us. Rather, I think it would be a more biblically faithful approach to look at verse 12 to see what he's talking about. Because I think if we were to summarize verses uh, 11 through 13, Paul in this moment is saying, listen, no matter what situation I'm in, whether high or low, I, I, can, I can get through it. I, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, that, this, so let, let's look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low. 
I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Now, as you see this, here's, here's, I want to kind of uh, begin to dive into the text here. When we read the verse, this, this idea of this context, he could do all these things, being brought low or whatever. He uses this one word, but unfortunately in English it's five words here. There's this statement about uh, halfway through verse 12. It says this, I have learned the secret. So Paul's saying in this moment, I could do all things. I can, I can endure uh, uh, highs and lows. I can make it. I, I can get there. And there's a secret to being able to do this. It's in, again, in Greek, it's one word, those five words. I've learned the secret. Now, before we begin to parse out all the rest of the text, why do we need a secret? And why is this strength needed to make it through highs and lows and abundance in, in, in little? Why is this secret needed? And I think that's a, a good place to start. And here's, here's what we got to do because every philosophy, every religion has to begin to deal with things with stuff, with experience. We interact with the world around us. And here's what we can um, be heightenedly aware of. That's whether we are in high positions or in a good place financially or a good place experientially or just a good place in our life, naturally, we um, will gravitate towards not needing God. And if we're in low places, really places that, that are poverty-stricken or we're lack of need or in terrible places, maybe where even Nathan felt a couple months back, like having cancer and frustrated in the experience of, that you have at your present moment, you can kind of grow cold-hearted or frustrated towards God. This is actually the prayer, of, the prayer of Agar in Proverbs 30. Listen to what he says. Listen to how Agar prays. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So I experienced this um, as a kid growing up uh, poor and homeless, and I committed to myself, I was telling John this uh, last week, I committed to myself, no, I'm not going to be poor. I know if I can make $1,600 a month, I'll be straight. Like, I'll be good. $1,600 a month, right? And so I committed to making $1,600 a month. Now, I got a job at Subway. Couldn't quite get there right away, right? I think the minimum pay was a little under five. Uh, but, so, so here, here's, I'm working towards this. I, I become a believer, and the church that I'm at closes down, and so we end up uh, migrating towards this church in North Scottsdale on Pima and Dynamite. The pinnacle, North Scottsdale, if you're not used to the valley, is almost the pinnacle of affluence, and cash, right? And so now I'm at a church that is bringing buku money. I mean, insane amounts of money, but still surrounded by people who aren't happy. And so here I find myself, this universal truth that I'm learning as a kid, right? That you're most in this room are probably aware of at this point. When I had little, I wanted more, but I'm watching people who had more and all they wanted was more. They still weren't happy. And so, so we need a secret. There's something, Paul is putting something in front of us to say, I have found a secret to combat that. I have found a secret to be able to beat that. And so what we see in the secret, I think going from 13 to 12, and now I want you to read verse 11, which obviously reads, before verse 12 says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So here's what I would uh, put in front of us. And I'll, I'll argue for this, why I think this is true exegetically in a second. I think the secret 
to be able to fight or get to Agar's prayer and fight against the poverty and the frustration you might, ex- might uh, feel in your experiences or the prosperity and way you might forget God and just want more. I think the secret Paul is talking about is contentment. That Christ uses contentment. He teaches us contentment, which we'll break down here in a second. He gives us contentment to be able to not allow the world around us in either prosperity or poverty to engulf our mind and heart. Contentment is the secret. This is crazy. I I need you to hear this. It's almost as if Paul is boasting in this moment about being content. And, And I think it's fair because if you can sit and meditate on contentment for a moment, it's power. Contentment says, fine, give me nothing or give me everything. That's not where it is. Put me in a refugee camp. Put me in the Hilton. That's not where it is. I won't fall or I won't falter based on what's around me or based on what I have. Contentment is power. It's power. And so, again, the the words here, listen, because I I think this is uh, beautiful. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And and, and I want to just kind of quickly go to the person who's writing this um, so you know it's not just like, oh, sure. No, it's easy to talk about. But, but, but I would say this verse isn't so much about God, hitting, uh, God giving you the ability to hit 500 jacks or, or, or 45 feet out or scoring a touchdown. It's almost the opposite. When verse 13 um, talks about you being able to do all things in Christ, it seems to be in the context almost the opposite. You can get through all things. It's not about success. It's actually about enduring. You, you can endure because Christ strengthens you. You can endure. And I, and I would argue, based on Paul's life, though, prosperity seems to inebriate us at times. He seems to be leaning a little bit more into the struggles that is this life. Listen to, to Paul. If you haven't heard this passage, this is crazy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, listen to the man who's writing this. This is how his life is described by himself. Okay? He says this, with far greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger with rivers, in danger with robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in, da- in danger, a lot of danger, right? In danger apart from other things, uh, all, uh, these, are these other things, there is a daily pressure on me and my anxiety for the churches. So he goes on to say, without food and anxiety, feeling all these pressures, as Paul's described in who he is, his life seems to go, I can endure that. I can endure that. And so this makes me, just real quick side note, um, if this passage leans towards what I would argue enduring, this contentment, that it doesn't matter what I have or what experiences I have, um, uh, can I just, on uh, a quick side note, um, if your Christianity is based on the life of Paul or based on the life of Jesus or based on the life of the 12 disciples or, um, or even early church uh, fathers, um, you won't be disappointed. You won't. But if your Christianity is based on the American dream, disappointment is inevitable. And so, so hear me, comfort is not contentment. Christ is contentment. And so, so just a side note, enduring, being able to do all things 
means suffering's in front of you. And whatever you've been told, whatever goods you bought based on your life is going to be better because you're Christian, or you think God owes you something because now you're going to church, hear me when I say this, a letdown's coming. Because comfort is not contentment. Christ is contentment. And to have Christ to help you endure those things is where I think Paul is trying to get to. So again, in verse uh, uh, 11, 12, and 13. Let me read it again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every cir- uh, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I talked about that one word of the secret. Let's go back to this, because this is the third wave. If that, that's the second wave of, that's what that text means. Verse 13 has far more to do with enduring than it does succeeding. Um, there's another wave that I think we might even miss in the context around it. So those five English words, again, um, are, 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 I have learned is in one Greek word. And here's the reason I, I like this uh, word is because this word, and give me some, put your kind of thinking caps on for a second. I do this probably twice a year where I try to explain how the English language works and compare it to a different language. But um, so when we talk about a word and we say, um, I don't know, I ran, right? I always use this as the example. I ran in the present tense, I run. And in the future, I'll be running, right? We have to add different words. So we have past, present, and future. But there are times when we in the English language try to communicate things that are beyond just the past, present, or future. For example, when you say I run, if someone was to ask you like, hey, what do you do for fun? You go, I run. Well, you don't just mean like in a moment I I run, but like running kind of seems to be this like all-encompassing, meaning when you say that, I can assume you've ran in the past, you might even be running while you talk to me, and you'll be running in the future. I run right? And what Greek allows is seven different tenses able to communicate something. And the tense in Greek here is called the perfect tense. It's my favorite tense in all of Greek. And that's why I wanted to take five minutes to explain it because here's an example. Okay. Here, here's an example. If you say, I learned how to cook, right? In the same way I learned to be content. If you say you learned how to cook, what you're saying is, um, I figured out how to cook certain dishes, but at the same time, I'm, I'm still learning. No one says when I learned how to cook, they're saying I mastered cooking. No, they're saying I, I, I learned how to cook. I can cook these things and I continue to learn how to cook and it's something that I do. That's the perfect tense in Greek. And what's being said here by Paul is in the perfect tense. Meaning when he says I learned contentment, Paul is saying this, I'm still learning contentment. I'm still learning contentment. The five words, let me read it again in its context. Uh, and, and what I love, there's two things I think the reason contentment has to do with um, uh, the secret is because the word learned actually appears there in verses 11 and then again in 12. But he says this, I know to be brought low and abound in every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. So the secret is here. So let's talk about uh, why this learning. Again, side note, let's talk metaphysics for a second. That sounds exciting, right? Okay. So Let me give you something kind of just to to chew on for a second. Here, here's what we can know in the Judeo-Christian worldview about humanity, okay? We're going to talk about all this, and hopefully it ties together, and you guys are like, yeah. If not, sorry for wasting your time. Um, Here's what we got. Um, Based on the Judeo-Christian worldview, we have the idea that mankind is different than the rest of creation in that we are made to work with things and creation to bring about what creation is meant to do. 
uh, Abraham Kuyper says it beautifully. He says this, humanity is meant to unlock what is hidden in creation. So mankind has a, a built-in, we are hardwired, different than animals and different than angels, right? Uh, beavers can make dams and stuff, but, but we're, we're meant to like uh, create metals that make pipes for water to run through. We have the, abil- we have the ability to harness electricity. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. We can harness lightning bolts, right? So we have this ability to do this. We work, we use trees to create houses, etc., etc., etc. We're able to take um, uh, inks and dyes and make art. This is a different responsibility with human beings than, than everyone else. And we're made, we're hardwired as a, at a DNA level to be able to do this. Now hold that truth there. Let's talk about something else. The devastating effects of sin... And the power play of sin is to turn every relationship on its head. Meaning sin doesn't always want to do away with things. Sometimes, or most of the time I would argue, it wants to distort things. And so what it does is it takes our relationship with each other and it distorts it. It tries to make things weird in marriages and friendships and relationships. It tries to, it makes uh, maybe you and your boss, you think you could do it better. It creates all of this tension. That's what it's trying to distort that relationship. It's doing that between just even ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, the way we view ourselves, our relationship with God. It makes us, sin is uh, trying to get us to a place that we believe we are God. We believe we're in control. We can see this in our society. Well, it's also true in our relationship, back to the first point, in our relationship with creation. What sin is trying to do is distort that relationship in such a way that you don't use creation for God's glory, but rather you're a slave to creation. And now, uh, if Magnolia tells you you need to do something to your home, you do it. If Nike tells you you need to do something, you work hard and get there. And so, so now suddenly we become a slave to things. It's not even just things, right? If, if American Airlines or Instagram tells you to experience this experience, you need to work hard to get there. Suddenly you've become a slave. The relationship has turned and now you need something. The opposite of contentment. The opposite of contentment. And so still talking kind of metaphysics here. What's, what's beautiful about Paul in this moment saying, I've learned contentment, is the word of God comes along and it says, because sin is distorting your relationship with things, because it's distorting your relationship with experience, because it's distorting you within yourself and wanting and wanting and needing and never being content, I need to teach you how to be content. And so Paul is saying, I'm learning, I've learned how to be content. Listen, it's in, the, it's in the wisdom literature. Listen to Proverbs. Proverbs is, is calling you to be content. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Luke, in the words of our Lord Jesus, and Luke 12 says this, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance and possessions. It comes from the, the, uh, the, the writings of Paul and John and Peter. Listen to Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have what the word of God and what God is doing in the life of Paul and in the life of us is recognizing this dichotomy that's in existence that's pushing against the world or what sin is saying, you be a slave to things and experiences. No, 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 no. Those things are to be slaves to you. Your house is meant to be worn out. Like you're meant to give away. It's not supposed to be Instagram perfect. You should be a messy, give all that you have type of people. That's who we are. 
And those things are slaves to us. I don't have to kill myself to get what Chip and Joanna Gaines tells me I need. And so as I begin to look at the things around, these things are being used for God's glory. I'm not a slave to these things. I'm okay. There's power in contentment. I'm good. It's not just the, the, the good, but it's also in the bad. And this is also where we need to learn. And that leads us to the rest of the passage. Because I, I can't help but look at verses 10, which we didn't cover fully. I'll read right now. And then 14 through 23. There's something to be said um, in the way that the book of Philippians uh, finishes just holistically of the book of Philippians that I think I want to point out here. Because something we've said every week is the book of Philippians is extremely relational. And when it comes to the area of contentment, I can't help but notice that Paul in saying he can um, endure or do all these things in Christ who strengthens him because he has the secret and the secret is contentment. I can't help but notice amidst the highs and lows of everywhere that Paul is, is community. It's community. Listen to verse 10. Let's just point out some of this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived or flourished your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But listen, do you hear that? Paul's struggling. Where's the church? They're concerned for him. Uh, We're not done. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourself know that the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Do you hear this? Paul's in that low. He's been, he's been whipped 39 times. He's been shipwrecked at sea. And he, and he, he, here he is like existing in this, um, tough tension of believing God cares for him, but feeling in this moment that he's nowhere to be found. The church doesn't come around, but the Philippian church does. So no other church wanted to go into partnership. Listen, listen to the language. Amidst suffering, how is Paul learning to be content? People are, and I quote, sharing in his troubles. They have sent help for his needs once and again, I mean, over and over again. The church is there for him. Now, can I just say this about contentment? We need to read our word and let it wash over us, teaching us to be content in Christ and Christ alone. But hear me, this is not an island game. This is not something meant to be done by yourself, but rather, hear me, no one can help you in your needs because you ain't sharing your trouble with anyone, bro. You ain't sharing your trouble. You, you have struggles, you have needs, but you have something that's better than them, don't you? You have self-reliance. you've got it i love what spurgeon says on self-reliance he says self self self-reliance is good but god reliance is like the sun outshining the stars and the idea that god is bigger more powerful better more in your face I, i i love something i wrote this down matthew henry said this when we take god as our god we take his people as our people and so this idea of Focusing on who God is, being content in who he is, requires the church, even in Paul's um, frustrating moments of life, it requires the church to come alongside him to help him, not just to teach him to be content, but to help him in those moments. We need each other. Listen to to, uh, 17 on. I love how Paul begins to unpack even the gift when we give to each other. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment. 
and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Uh, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, greet them. Uh, uh, with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord uh, Christ be with you. I'm sorry, be with your spirit. So let me just uh, wrap this whole deal up. I, I love that the fact that his first uh, flinch is going, listen, you helped me in my time of need. Now I have plenty. But listen, it wasn't even about the help. It's not even about you just giving to me. It's about us working together. The fact that the Lord will honor the gift that you give. And, and I'm excited that you helped me. I was hungry in prison. You provided food. I'm grateful for that. But I'm even more grateful that God will reward you for helping his saints. I'm even more grateful for that. And then, listen, Paul then puts on what he's experienced to the rest of the church. And this is where I finish. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In a nutshell, listen, the same way he's got me, he's got you. He's got you. And so instead of relying on self-reliance, instead of thinking that you have it all together, we lean towards Jesus and we're content. And in being content, we know God has us. God has us. J.A. Packer um, has a small quote that I want to finish with. It says this, We are not made or redeemed for self-sufficient aloneness. <laughs> okay, let me read it again because it sounds like, well, that's simple. Listen, we were not made or redeemed for self-sufficient aloneness. We were not made or redeemed for self sufficient aloneness. And so to the person in this room who is struggling with depression, uh, to the person in this room who's lost their job, to the person in this room who's been broken up with or is on the verge of divorce, you were not made or redeemed for self-sufficient aloneness. And God has called you to be content with a church to rally around you and be around you but we can't share in your sufferings if you don't share your sufferings. And so I feel like as the book of Philippians winds down, Paul opens up with where he's at in being content, but recognizing his contentness, him being content, is in the context of being in community. I pray that would be true of us, that we would have each other's back, that we would be a church to recognize needs and share our, 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 our needs and our sufferings, and then, and then the church using the word of God would teach us to be content. Let's pray. Father, the book of Philippians has been extremely edifying. It's been encouraging. It's been convicting. I know my own heart has been rebuked quite a few times. And so as we wind down, we can't help but think through the fact that we are working out our salvation and, and it's not easy to do. We're mindful of how many times uh, you use the Apostle Paul to, to teach us the importance of community. And, and then this morning we just read these words that we can do all things, we can endure all things, whether highs or lows, 
that this world, the age of this world, will not enrapture our mind and hearts in such a way that we forget you and say who needs you, or we are angry at you or steal or sin because we need more. But you have us. You'll supply all of our needs. And I pray, I pray, I pray that a spirit of community would take hold of Redemption Peoria, that we would see how much we need each other, that self-reliance is not what we've been redeemed for, for us to be alone on an island, but we would suffer with one another, we would rejoice with one another, and we would learn to be content in you, and we'd see that across the board, we'd see that in each other, that the community around us would learn to be content in you. We love you, we thank you, we're grateful. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.